Hi there, I'm Ken Cruz, author of Dad Bod, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 247, Teachers in Pop Culture. Chris McBrien along with Derek Myers and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, this week, Derek and I will be taking a look at some of our favorite teachers in pop culture. I'm a huge advocate of higher education, although you'd never know by the way I carry on around here half the time, but I'm actually looking forward to talking about some of my favorite teachers in movies and TV and all that kind of stuff over the years. But first, Derek what pop culture have you been able to take in lately, my friend? Educate me on some stuff, would you? Well, I don't think there'll be a lot of educating going on because the three movies I'm going to talk about take place between 1976 and 1982. So these are all oh, like your wheelhouse. I like where we're going. Yes. But then I have a very new documentary. So let's oh, very cool. first. Very cool. Okay. Right. So it, I watched a movie I have not seen in probably 30 years. Mm-hmm. It's the 1976 cult classic Car Wash. Oh. <laughs> Oh, yes. With like Richard Pryor and George Carlin and everything. Yeah. Working at the car wash. That's the one. That's the car one. Car wash, yeah. Uh, oh, my God. That's I so definitely good. remember seeing it in like the, the mid 80s on video. Mm-hmm. And right. that's probably the last time I saw it. But I was surprised how many of the lines and the scenes I actually remembered quite clearly. It was really good. It, yeah. I thought it really held up. It's one of these movies that's just all takes place in one day in one location. And and it's like that's like a subgenre of its of its of itself. And uh, no, this one's great. Huge cast of who's who of uh, of popular black actors of the time. The music soundtrack is fantastic. Like the whole thing takes place at the car wash, and they've got the the local radio station blasting on the speaker. So there's music accompanying every scene. It it was it was really good. It really it really held up a lot more than I expected it to. I mean, obviously there are some things that are right. Of its time and of of the moment and and geographically and culturally relevant to that time and but it, it was a really interesting slice of life from the from the 1970s. I'm uh, surprised actually yeah. to hear you say that it's held up well because it's it's very 70s, you know. But it but it's I mean it's of its time. Yeah. And uh, no, I I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. And cool. uh, no, I, I liked it a lot. And. Um, yeah, the, the sound, like, I was blown away by how good the music was, too. So I like that you're dipping back into this, like, 70s, 80s stuff this yeah. week. This is awesome. All right, so that one got two thumbs up for me. Now nice. I got one, another one that I remembered seeing as a kid but hadn't seen in many, many years. So this is uh, 1979, Harrison Ford, The Frisco Kid, also Ooh. starring Gene Wilder. Wow. And, again, I hadn't seen this since the mid-'80s, didn't remember a lot of it, and uh, this one... I, it was okay. Um, I, I think when I was a kid, I didn't know who Gene Wilder was, so I wasn't really following that part of the story. And he's the star of the movie. It's a Gene Wilder vehicle with Harrison Ford has like a small, uh, uh, you know, like not a bit part, but he's not in. He's not the star of the movie. Whereas right. once he hit it big with Star Wars and Raiders, now he's on the cover of the movie. 
So, uh, yeah, if you've never seen this one, it's not bad, but it's not great. Again, it showed up on my 70s channel, and I was like, yeah, let's give it a record. Actually, I think I saw it on Turner Classic Movie, to be honest with you. And, uh, no, it, it was it was just okay. But it was a fun walk down memory lane. Some mm-hmm. of this I, I remembered from. Yeah, it's not great. It's not No, great. no. It's There's a reason that it's not yeah. held up when you say, you know Harrison Ford? And you're like, that guy from the Frisco kid. No. <laughs> no. no, that's not how that works. Uh, and then uh, third and final one I saw mm-hmm. was from 1982, right in your sweet spot, and oh, starring man. one of your favorite actors, Henry Winkler. This is Night Shift. Oh, oh my God. So this is oh, uh, Ron Howard's directorial debut. Uh, um, second Winkler. movie, actually, because he directed oh, Grand, Th- Grand Theft Auto first. There you go. Yeah. And uh, Henry Winkler, uh, you know, a.k.a. the Fonz in my a very idol. non-Fonzie role. Yep. And it was Michael Keaton's, oh, it was Michael Keaton's first movie. It was, and, yeah. And it's got... Um, uh, Shelley Long, uh, pre-cheers and looking fabulous. Let me oh, tell yeah. you, I never thought she was really that attractive. She was never really my type, but oh my God, she looked amazing in this. She's beautiful. And in that it was another movie that I was surprised how much I enjoyed it and how some of the, some of the scenes, some of the jokes I did remember cause it had been a long time since I saw this one too, but uh, no, I really enjoyed it on the rewatch. I was very, very pleased that this one showed up on the, on the BVR and I was like, okay. Or, or it showed up on my eighties channel and I was like, okay, I'm just going to record and watch it. So yeah, no, it was it was a nice visit. When was the last time you saw Night Shift? So before you, you mentioned you also have a documentary you're going to get to. So we get to play the song before you get to that. I'll jump in with what I have, what I did in the last week for my pop culture. I watched Night Shift. Oh, nice. <laughs> so it was, it was on t- the lineup. Yeah. yeah, it was on TV. So I saw it and I said to my wife, oh, my God, we got to watch this. I absolutely love that movie as a teenager. I saw it in the theater when it first came out. Wow. I'll never forget. I remember my grandma was around our house one day and me and my friend were going to the theater that night to go see this movie. I'll never forget because she she's like, well, what's this movie about that you're going to go see? And I'm like, well, it's these two guys and they work at a morgue and then they have hookers working out of the morgue. I thought my grandma was going to faint. She was very old school, very religious. So, and then after I saw it in the theater, I, like I got it on VHS and I would watch it all the time back in the 80s. Oh my God, that movie was so good. I haven't seen it probably in about 30 years. And then yeah, like same, I say, last same. week, it was like it was on, was it, a, I don't know if it was on one of those 80s It was on channels. one of the classic channels. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. We obviously both saw it in the lineup if we both saw it in the exactly. last week. Exactly. So yeah, so I said to my wife, you got to watch this, man. I loved it all over again. Again, I love how Henry Winkler plays against type. Like he's a total nerd and a pushover yeah. in this movie. Yeah. He's not Fonzie. And Michael Keaton, oh my God, he was so good. One of the all-time great movie debuts for an actor, I think. Yeah. He plays Joski. He's just off the charts. He's like radical. Remember he was, yeah. he would say. A lot of 80s dialogue. And and like, not that he, he like, he really took advantage of the of the, the lines and the scenes they gave him. Because uh, obviously as, a, as an up-and-comer, you don't know how he's going to pop. So it's like, well, let's see what he does. And they, they he did a lot with what, what he had in front of him. No, I thought oh, he did yeah. a great job. And like you, like you mentioned, like Shelley Long, like because you think of her as Diane Chambers, you know, yeah. that uptight, snooty girl from from Cheers. But in this, like she's a prostitute, like again, against type, you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah. It, it might not be very PC to say, uh, but that scene when she's in her underwear, oh my God, like she, she was something else, man. She was hot. Yeah. Um, the movie's funny. It, I thought it had a great script, great performances. Is it, The scene when Michael Keaton is putting the Kleenex in his biceps to give himself the muscles. Oh, yeah, right. Because he's a pimp. 
And then he he puts a wad down the front of his pants and he starts like pushing his crotch out. My <laughs> wife was laughing so hard at that point. Like I'm, that movie was fantastic. Oh, you know man. why your wife was laughing at that? Because she's seen you do that before. Oh, I, yeah, I do that all the time. I, I yeah. got to give myself yeah. some muscles, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's what I, so that's what I did too. And then nice, nice. you have one And I have a thing? documentary. Yes, I do. 40 days and 40 nights. Watch documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. He's Derek's documentary. Documentary. What documentary did you watch? It was something new. Yeah, uh, mm. brand new, just dropped on Crave. Uh, I think this week or last week. So okay. uh, Crave here in Canada, HBO in the U.S. Uh, it is about the history of A and M Records. It's called Mr. A and Mr. M: The oh. Story of A and M Records. It's two one-hour episodes. I think they're like fifty-five minutes. And yeah, it's. I mean. If you're into music at all, you're like, oh, I've heard of A&M Records. They produced or, you know, put out the following. And you, you, there's a lot of huge artists that got their start and have had their careers uh, with their albums produced by A&M Records. But again, I don't I knew nothing about how this company came to be. And it was extremely interesting. The first hour basically is from the 1960s to 1979. And then the second half is like 1980 until, you know, the late 80s, early 90s when they eventually sell the company. And so for me, that second half was a walk down memory lane. It's a who's who of artists from the 80s. And of course I recognized all of them. But that first hour, so much of how this company got started and the kind of music they were producing and the artists that they promoted is like way outside of my wheelhouse, but it was very educational. And a lot of the music is great music, just like, you know, Karen Carpenter and Cat Stevens, like those aren't really artists that I am that familiar with, but they they make beautiful and fantastic music. And so to to hear what they were doing against the context of what was happening musically at the time and how this company was taking a risk with these artists that were not traditional and not really what the radios were expecting to be playing and just the the a tremendous amount of success they had by taking risks on artists who you know, as artists themselves, they were like, we just were in it for the music. And if the, if it paid so much, the better. And they just they, you know, talk about capturing lightning in a bottle, right place, right time, right bank of artists. And uh, it was it was really, really good. So if you're into music and I know some of our listeners, some of our friends of the show are really into music. If you haven't seen this one yet, take a look for it. It's on demand. Mr. A and Mr. M, the story of A&M Records. Very cool. Well, I already mentioned what I did for uh, my pop culture. So let's just get right into this. Here's your dad joke of the week. All right, Derek. So since we're talking about teachers in pop culture this week, I thought I'd do a teacher dad joke. Oh boy. Appropriate, you know? (laughs) So Derek, what's the difference between a teacher and a train? I, I almost, I almost don't want to know, but I don't know, Chris, tell me. A teacher tells you to spit out your gum and a train says, choo, choo. Yeah, I'm giving that joke an F. Yeah, well, F you. Calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean. <laughs> if there's a lot of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Smokey and the Bandit oh! shirt for you. <laughs> so, I loved it. I thought it was great. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad. Boof from Teen Wolf. Hot as a pistol. Wow. I know. That's pretty amazing. I'm a big Dungeons and Dragons nerd. It's a shock that you never got more girls in high school. <laughs> calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean. <laughs> Calm blue ocean. I don't know. That's a lot to unpack, Chris. I'll give me a second here. <laughs> All right. So listening to this podcast, in case you're not aware, Derek and I don't do this podcast as our full-time gig. 
We actually have day jobs. Hard to believe doing a free podcast every week doesn't pay the bills. Go figure, Derek. No, we're working on it. It's only been eight seasons. We'll get there eventually. (laughs) Exactly. We'll we'll find a way. We're going to be the overnight success that took 20 years. (laughs) Exactly. So the thing is, when I'm not like reminiscing about the good old days from, you know, Gen X pop culture, I'm actually a college professor. I specialize mostly in business, a lot of management and leadership stuff. And my students always enjoy the fact that I'm a podcaster because at least I'm doing something kind of sort of cool, you know, even though I'm like lame and I'm out of touch with, you know, today's pop culture and current sensibilities, you know, because I'm the non-PC, you know, Gen X guy, I guess. But the thing is, like, one thing I've always valued is education, especially in later in my life, because education can it can change your life. You know, going back to school was a big turning point for me, you know, personally and professionally. I went back to school and got an undergraduate degree when I was 39 years old. And then I continued on with graduate school. I I now hold a master's degree. I'm an educator. So, like, I'm a huge advocate for education. And the thing is, the right teacher can change your life. You know, like sometimes it's a high school teacher or maybe it's a college professor or just a mentor or someone like that. But I think that we can all agree that, you know, looking back on our lives, having the right teacher, I think at the right time can make a huge difference in this world. And since we do a podcast on pop culture, we thought it would be only fitting, you know, that we do a show on teachers and pop culture. Now, Derek, this topic was your idea. Do you want to maybe explain why you thought it would be important to do this as a topic? Well, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, for the reasons you had mentioned, and mm-hmm. I know that you're a teacher, and uh, I just find that there are a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows set in schools, uh, high schools, grade schools, kindergartens, universities, colleges, and then your your more non-traditional sort of teaching. Like, think something like even Top Gun technically is, is about teaching, right? It's those who are experts in their field passing on their knowledge to to up-and-comers or people who who need to learn those skills. And, and I'm sure a couple of our picks are going to be sort of that out-of-left-field, tangentially related. Not necessarily every pick is about a traditional classroom. But there are so many... TVs and uh, TV shows and movies that do take place in the classroom that do focus on teachers. And so I thought, you know what, this is a pretty rich area. And we had talked about potentially doing two parts and like, let's pick just TV teachers and come back and do just movie teachers. Mm-hmm. But after a little bit of discussion, we decided let's just lump them all together and we can always revisit this topic at a later date if we if we feel there's a more to be uh, mined out of this this very rich uh, topic here tonight. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do a top five list. We'll, stop, we'll start with our number five and we'll work our way up to number one. Um, I did want to mention a couple of uh, honorable mentions off the top. And this might surprise you that these didn't make it into my list. But there was a movie, and I mentioned this a little while ago on the podcast. There was a movie back in the 80s called The Principal with Jim Belushi. And in it, he plays like this teacher and he gets like sent to this like inner city like school and stuff. And he becomes a principal. That one was pretty good. Another one that that didn't make my list uh, was Mr. Belding from Saved by the Bell. Remember him? Because I think he was just too goofy and stuff like that. And then one that came really close with Sidney Poitier and To Sir With Love. It's an older movie, you know, from like the early 60s, but oh man, it was really, really good. But they just fell outside. But anyway, so we're going to do our top five list and I'm going to let you kick things off with your number five teacher in pop culture. Who do you got? 
All right. So most of my list is going to fall into that sort of very traditional category about mm-hmm. the the school, the classroom, when you sure. think teacher, you, yeah. you know, what your what your mind first goes to. But I did in, in the course of doing my homework for this, I realized a lot of the movies and shows that take place at a school generally focus on the students and the student body. And I think mm-hmm. rightly so. I think I think there's a lot more. Uh, to to get out of that. I think that more people can relate to being the student than being the teacher. So I really tried to look for examples where, yeah, the students are a part of it, but that was a more specifically focused on the teacher side of that relationship, um, which is not to say that every pick had to, but I, I felt that that was a better, a better uh, place to start. So I'm going to start with the newest one on my list. Okay. And that is, um, uh, from the TV show Abbott Elementary, which is only now in its second season, it's still ongoing, and I'm t- I'm taking the lead in this. This is uh, Quinta Brunson, um, who is the performer who plays um, uh, Janine Teagues. Uh, Quinta Brunson is also the the creator of this show. This is her brainchild. She she uh, wrote the story, uh, wrote the the concept for it. Uh, for those who maybe aren't as familiar, because it's a pretty new show, uh, I'll just read you the little uh, description here. It's Abbott Elementary is a mockumentary sitcom created by Quinta Brunson. It stars Brunson as Janine Teagues, a positive second grade teacher at a poorly funded Abbott Elementary, a fictional, predominantly black school in Philadelphia. And part of the reason I wanted to uh, highlight this character is she embodies the best of what everyone hopes teachers can be. It is someone who um, feels that teaching is her passion. Teaching is her her uh, lot in life. She feels very positive. She feels that she's going to make a difference in the lives of of the students, and always tries to put the positive on it, despite the overwhelming obstacles uh, of today's educators, especially in the U.S. and especially in underfunded schools in in uh, in the U.S. and the show features a cat. The show focuses predominantly on the teachers. This is one of those good examples where, yeah, there are students in the show, but it's about the teachers. And you have all sorts of examples of the different types of teachers. You have the teachers who, uh, you know, just come in, do the work, and leave. You have the teachers that play the system. You have the teachers that are clueless. Uh, you have the teachers that don't want to be there but are forced to be there. But she, she embodies the best of what every teacher can and should aspire to be. Um, as an educator, as a person. And uh, I think that any list about teachers would would not be complete without her. So she's my number five. And I think people may even argue that she deserves to be lower on my list. And rightly, probably rightly so. But honestly, I've only watched the first season of this show. And it's fantastic if you haven't watched it. It's on Disney Plus here in Canada. Um, give it a look. But uh, Quinta Brunson as uh, Janine Teagues is my number one, or my well, number five. Number five. And so kicking things off, we're like totally sticking to our roles here. Because you're like got the newer stuff and I go with the old stuff because I'm going with Fonzie. So I know when you mentioned that you first wanted to do this as a topic, you like immediately said to me, you're like, you can't do Fonzie because that was his lamest character arc. But no, Derek, actually jumping the shark was his lamest character arc. You know, you think of Fonzie being a teacher in the last few, you know, seasons of Happy Days and it kind of ruined the show. But no. Wait, wasn't Fonzie being a teacher that ruined Happy Days? We all know that it was the perennial show killer, Ted McGinley. Ted McGinley, yeah. <laughs> he killed Happy Days. He killed Happy Days, and then he went on and killed the love boat, and then he killed Married with Children. Fonzie being a teacher had nothing to do with it. So, mm-hmm. But anyway, so back in season eight, Richie left the show, right? And so the writers brought in Roger Phillips, Ted McGinley. 
he was Marion's nephew and he was like a coach and a teacher at Jefferson High. I don't think he wasn't really meant to replace Richie, but you know, in some ways, I guess they kind of tried to do that. But anyway, so then Fonzie comes back from Italy and he's got a beard and he decides he's going to be a teacher. He's going to teach mechanics in the shop class. And then in season nine, Fonzie helped out as a substitute teacher for Roger's class one day. The only thing is, is that the kids in the class, they trick Fonzie. Oh, I remember this episode. Yeah. Yes. They, they trick him. And they're like, you know, you're supposed to be doing a lesson on sex ed. And then Roger almost got fired. But Fonzie stayed on as a teacher. And if you remember the opening credits in those last couple of seasons had Fonzie and Roger like walking around on campus as teachers. Roger's in a suit carrying a briefcase and Fonzie's, of course, in his leather jacket, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, and as, as you've mentioned before, and as everyone knows, I love Fonzie. Henry Winkler is my idol. You know, I'm great watching him in the in the Night Shift movie we mentioned before. But he was a teacher for the last few seasons of Happy Days. And and all of that is enough to get him on my list. So he's number five. So Fair enough. On I to your number four. Yeah. Way, way to paint by number there, buddy. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> Got to so, stick with my strengths. Yeah. No, hey, Singing mine, and mine's, songwriting. Mine's going to be sort of all over the place here. But okay. uh, so my next pick is... Uh, from 1997 movie in and out and i'm picking kevin klein as howard brackett so uh in and out is uh you know it was inspired by true events where Mm -hmm. tom hanks won the oscar for uh his role in philadelphia and when he accepted his oscar he thanked one of his teachers uh that inspired him when he was younger and during his speech, he he outed the teacher. Now, the teacher, as far as I understand in real life, was already out. But this was a time where, you know, being gay and being out was not necessarily ex- as accepted as it is today. And so the the premise of that is the premise for this movie. There's this teacher. He's this high school teacher, Mr. Brackett, played by Kevin Klein. And uh, he's one of the kids' favorite teachers, and he goes above and beyond, does all this stuff in this small town to help these kids. And when, um, uh, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name, is it Matt Dillon is the performer? Yeah, when Matt Dillon, who is his former student, uh, wins the Oscar, uh, he thanks Howard, Brick, Howard Brackett from Indiana, and he's gay. And of course, in the movie, Kevin Klein's character isn't gay or doesn't think he's gay. Uh, and then through the course of the film, uh, it's it's actually played for laughs, but it's it's not you're not laughing at him because he's gay. It's it's actually a pretty heartfelt comedy. And uh, I really like that. I watched this movie probably in the last year and I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I thought it held up pretty well. But I wanted to put him on the list because I think that this is an important thing that that maybe doesn't get emphasized enough in both pop culture and in real life. It's like what a teacher does outside of the school, you know, how relevant, how important is that? And and the fact, like, if your teacher's gay, does that make them any more or less of a teacher? It, absolutely not. It shouldn't. And I think that that's one of the things that this movie does really well is when when he's outed, all the people start treating him differently. Students start to, like, get uncomfortable around him and things like that. And up until a day earlier, he was their favorite teacher. And even at the end of the movie, the part of the, the whole the whole culmination of it is the students at graduation always vote on the teacher of the year. And they expected this teacher to win. And then he ends up being disqualified. And so there's this whole um, comeuppance that happens at the end when the students have finally realized, like, hey, we shouldn't care that he's gay. He's still our favorite teacher. And um, I, I think that's an important, uh, important lesson that comes out of this movie. It's like, you can, uh, you know, you can be a great teacher and and have 
other things about you that that shouldn't impact how people perceive you. Like you should be based on, are you a good teacher? Are you a good person? And do the students like you? Do the students learn? Do the students get what they're supposed to get out of a teacher? And whether you're gay or whether you have uh, you know, any sort of extracurriculars happening outside of the classroom, as long as it's not affecting your ability to teach and your your ability to interact with these students, like who cares? Um, so anyway, I felt this was an important one to have on the list. So my number four, Kevin Klein, Howard Brackett from In and Out, nineteen ninety seven. That's a good one. I like that one. Okay, mm. so my number four, I'm going with what I think is one of the most memorable teachers in movie history, and that's Mister Hand from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Good pick. Oh, he was so perfectly cast in that movie. So um, when he did this movie, Ray Walston, he hadn't really worked for a while at that point. Now, he played Poop Deck Pappy in Popeye with Robin Williams. Remember, he was Popeye's dad. But other I, than, I don't remember, but I, I have seen the movie. Yeah, he, he, he plays Popeye. If you go back and watch it or watch a, a clip on YouTube, you'll be like, oh, my God, yeah, that's him. Um, but other than that, like he did a bunch of small TV appearances back in the 70s, but really he didn't do a whole lot before that, you know, since well, wasn't he in, in the TV show, My Favorite Martian? Yes, My Favorite Martian. Yeah. But that was like back in the mid 60s. So, yeah, you know, he didn't he didn't do a lot of stuff, but he was like just perfect as Mr. Hand. And oh, yeah. the thing is, is that Spicoli's character is great and it's what a lot of people remember. But the thing is. Spicoli's character wouldn't have worked half as well if he didn't have Mr. Hand as his like foil. As his foil. Yeah. No, you know? I'm glad you used that word. That was exactly where my it, mind was going. It, that was what made everything work. Like where Spicoli was all about being chill and laid back and waiting for the perfect wave and all that stuff. You know, he showed up to class late and he's got like a bagel tucked into his pants. He mm-hmm. represented that youth culture in 1982. But yeah. Mr. Hand represented the older generation, the one that was resisting the new generation. And it just worked perfectly. You know, like he ran this tight ship in class. Like there's no eating in my class. This is my time. You will respect my time. And then then a pizza shows up. Yeah, because Spicoli's like, well, I figured it was our time. Nothing wrong with a little feast on our time. (laughs) And then Mr. Hand's like, I agree with you. It is our time. So he hands out Spicoli's pizza to everyone in the class. And yeah. even eats a slice himself. Like, like yeah. I don't know. Like I say. Those are the best scenes in that movie. Oh, I think so too. Like, well, I mean, it's not the best scene of that movie, but <laughs> in general, the <laughs> yeah, Mr. Hand Spicoli there's, interaction. There's one scene are, in the movie that's a little bit better and it yeah, involves a red yeah. bikini. <laughs> but, well, or, yeah. <laughs> but, but like I said, I, I say, I don't think the movie would have worked as well without Mr. Hand. Because the thing is, he represents authority and old school values. And in a lot of ways, that's what teachers represent, at least mm-hmm. to, in the eyes of their students. Right. So he was just perfect in that movie. Perfect. So he's my number four. So, yeah, when, when, when we when we were talking about originally doing this topic, yeah. he was going to be on my list 100 percent. And as we said before, we don't usually share our list with each other ahead of time. But from time to time, when I'm when I'm a little worried that we may have too much overlap, we we have a neutral third party review yeah. the lists to say. And sure enough, uh, I shared my list with my wife, who was our neutral third party this time. And she's like, you guys both have one of the same. And I was like, who is it? I'll change it. And she's like, it's Mr. Hand. I'm like, I'll let Chris have that one. I'll pick something else instead. So I'm, I knew he was going to be represented on this list. And uh, I'm glad you picked him. And I probably would have had him right where you had him. Yeah, yeah like that number three, number four yeah. slot. That's that's about perfect. So. Well, th- thanks for, for conceding Mr. Hand to me. He's awesome. No worries. All right, your number three. What do you got? All right, this one's right out of your wheelhouse. Oh, I like it. From TV, 
I picked Gabe Kaplan as Gabe Cotter from Welcome Back, wow. Cotter. Oh, okay. Here, 1975 to 1979. So cool. uh, for our younger viewers, mm-hmm. Welcome Back, Cotter was a sitcom where John Travolta got his television debut before he was a big star. And the idea it here made is, him a star, you know? oh, it totally did. And the idea here is Gabe Kaplan was a student at this at like, you know, when he was a high school student, he went to this school and like years later, he's basically forced to come back as a teacher. And he's now got to teach all the kids that were just like him when he was in in high school. And so they call the, 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 the you know, the troubled kids, the sweat hogs. And so when when Gabe Kaplan was a student 15, 20 years earlier, he was a sweat hog. So there's that immediate relationship and connection with these students who other teachers have a hard time with and students who don't want to be in class and who have, you know, issues with authority. And it's this, this whole idea of, of being able to reach the students on a certain level that other teachers can't. And, uh, I, I always liked this show, even when I was younger and I used to watch it. I mean, some of the jokes went over my head uh, as a younger viewer, but I remember when they started rerunning these, I think I was able to get them like probably in the mid to late nineties. I started rerunning this. I went back and rewatched a lot of them and I, I really enjoyed them upon the rewatch, even those 15, you know, 15, years later um to this day when i meet people i always go hi there and that's from freddie boom boom washington one of the uh, sweat hogs that was his his thing and his deep voice he's always like hi there and so i do that from time to time still to this day nobody ever realizes that's where it's from but no this this is a great show the characters are great it's got heart and gabe kaplan as the teacher is great because again he's got that that relationship with these kids that other teachers don't have and they they as much as they don't want to be in school, they do show him a tremendous amount of respect because they get where he's come from. They can relate to him. So I felt that uh, that he was definitely one of the better representations of teachers in pop culture. And he was obviously, I don't want to say one of the first, but in a, a long line of pop culture teachers in the 80s and 90s, I think they owe a, a fair amount to uh, performers like Gabe Kaplan. So and, and I think, he, you know, he might be, it was surprised some people that he's not on my list. Because that's like right in my wheelhouse, all that. Yeah. But he didn't make yeah, my list. And, and for a couple of reasons. Number one, I f- always felt that he was miscast in that role. It's just something about it that didn't fit for me. And really, the other thing was, is that that show ended up being more about the sweat hogs than it was about him. Eventually, yeah. The first season is very much yeah. about him. But as the as the supporting cast started to become bigger stars, you're absolutely right. It, it this is one of those ones where it started to become much more about the students. But... I mean, the show's called Welcome Back, Cotter, for a reason. It's about Cotter, at least the outset. And it's yeah. not that great theme song. Yeah, well, but again, the theme song is sung from the, the student's perspective, right? Because they're yeah, welcoming back. And then the other thing I didn't like about it was at the end of every episode, because the sweat hogs started to kind of take over the show, like you said. Yeah. And then so they felt the need to like cater to Gabe Kapler's, uh, um, his, his, his ego, for lack of a better word. Yeah. And so they had to give him more time. And then at the end of every episode, it would be him and his wife sitting in the apartment and he would tell a joke. Yeah. And they were the worst. Like, I mean, you think my dad jokes are bad? I was going to say, that oh. formula sounds pretty familiar. Oh, man, they were awful. They so, were. I don't know. So there was... Weren't the, they always the, like, did I ever tell you about my uncle yeah. so-and-so? Like, exactly. that was every joke. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, my uncle did this and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, so bad. Like so bad. So, okay. So that's why I left him off. Okay. My number three, this one, we're going to surprise each other. You're going to an old one. I'm going to something a little bit newer. So for me, anyway, I, I, I don't watch a lot of anything that came out after 1989, but my number three is from 2003. So it's shocking. Wow. I know. What is this reverse day? Holy I cow. Know. So funny enough, just last week we reviewed Jumanji. Welcome to the jungle. And I mentioned how, I usually don't really care for Jack Black. 
all that much. But there is one movie where he was absolutely perfect. And of course, that's School of Rock. It was the perfect vehicle for him. And he, he's got such a unique talent that just fits in that movie. So um, you can just tell when you watch it, he just loves rock and roll. It just oozes out of his pores. And he's just so, so good in every scene he's in. And even though he's this kind of slacker, burnout, wannabe rocker, he ends up being an amazing teacher. And the thing is, he doesn't just instill an appreciation of rock music into his students. They're all basically these rich, snooty kids that like classical music, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing is, like, he connects with them in in, in so many ways. And the thing that, that, that I like about this movie is that he supports his students and he lets them just be who they are. Like, there's so many examples. Like, there's that, that, that effeminate boy. He doesn't want to be security. He likes fashion design. So Jack Black is like, he doesn't even hesitate. He's like, he just listens to him. He's like, okay, fancy pants, you're the band stylist. And there's the girl that's like anxious about her weight. And he talks about himself. And, and Aretha Franklin's like, everybody wants to party with Aretha, you know? And then Lawrence, the Asian boy, he's like, I'm not cool. I'm not cool enough to be in the band. And Dewey does that like handshake thing with him with his fingers and everything. He's like, you're Mr. Cool. You're Mr. Cool. And then when they don't win the competition, he's like, you know, like they're about like rock isn't about winning. It's about just putting on a great show. Like, and he, and he says he's proud of them. So I think a good teacher should always support their students. And that's what he does in this movie. So Dewey Finn is a hundred times better of a teacher than almost anyone else. So he was my number three. Well, I got to admit, I haven't seen the movie since 2003 and my recollection was not enjoying it. So uh, I, I'm going to say we'll agree to disagree on that one. But right. uh, yeah, we'll go with that. So, OK, I mean, uh, as we your... said last week, uh, Jack Black's not my favorite performer yeah. in the world. But uh, yeah, that one was pretty good. OK, so you're number two. All right. Uh, my number two, we're going right yeah. back into Chris's wheelhouse to keep up with the opposite oh, day. Yes. We're going to 1987, the movie Summer School. Mark Harmon oh. as Freddie Shoop. Oh, wow. Mr. Shoop. So. This this is an example of a certain formula that was very popular in the late 80s and early 90s where you had a teacher, sometimes a reluctant teacher, who was forced to be in the classroom or chose to go to chose to go to a, a school maybe where they're uh, they weren't necessarily expecting to go to. And then they use untraditional methods to reach students who otherwise are terrible students to turn them around. Some of these movies are loosely based on real life things. Other ones, it's just the uh, some of them, of course, now looking back, suffer from sort of the white savior complex where you have, you know, the white person comes in and saves the inner city school. So from a from a uh, how does it hold up standpoint, maybe not so much, but some examples Examples of this are movies like Stand and Deliver, Lean on Me, Dangerous Minds, Dead Poets Society, where you have this 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 teacher or this educator who comes in, turns things around with their kooky, crazy methods, and everybody has a better life because of it. Summer School is one of my favorite examples of this. If you haven't seen Summer School at all or in a while, it's a fun rewatch. I probably watch this movie once every year or two, partly because I just love the cast and it's, it's a good 80s comedy. So Mr. Shoop is the gym teacher. And part of the reason he teaches Jim is because he gets his summers off. And at the start of the movie, it's the last day of school and he's getting ready to go to Hawaii for the summer. And the teacher who teaches summer school is doing a bunch of scratch off tickets and he ends up winning $50,000. And so he literally runs the principal's office and quits. And he, the principal's like, you need to teach summer school. He goes, I just won 50 grand. F you. I'm out of here. 
And so the principal starts running around all the teachers before they leave on the last day trying to see who wants to teach summer school. And of course, none of them want to. And he finally gets to Mr. Shoop and he's like, you now have to stay and teach summer school. And he's like, I don't teach summer school. I'm a gym teacher, first of all. And secondly, I'm a teacher because I want my summers off. And he's like, if you want tenure and you want to have a job next year, you're going to do summer school and I'll give you otherwise I'm not going to give you my recommendation. So he sort of blackmails him into being the teacher. And the, he gets remedial English. So it's all the kids that failed. And most of them failed because they're bad students, not like not necessarily because they're dumb, but just because they have all these other issues and, and things. And so, again, you've got this non-traditional teacher who, who maybe isn't super qualified to teach this subject with kids who absolutely don't want to be in summer school. But he reaches them in sort of these non-traditional ways. He ends up bribing them. He gives them all, uh, you know, like a wish. And he goes, I'll help you with whatever your wish is in order for you to actually try and be a student. And through the course of the movie, you know, they they connect. The teacher connects with the students. The students start to see him as, as uh, you know, someone that, that can actually teach them something. And by the end of the movie, there's this big culmination where uh, – you know, they they the principal who blackmailed him into being the summer school teacher tries to get him fired. And all the parents of the students come in and talk to the principal and say, like, look, here's how much all the scores went up. Not everybody passed, but everybody learned like this is the sign of a great educator. And so it's got that happy ending. It's got Kirstie Alley in a great role in a great supporting role. And she looks great. I mean, uh, R.I.P. Kirstie Alley. We just lost her recently. Um, but Mark Harmon is 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 fun. Like a lot of people know Mark Harmon now from NCIS. Uh, but he was pretty good in this role, too. So I, this is sort of one of my guilty pleasure movies. So I'm going to go with this uh, uh, Mr. Shoop from Summer School. Well, that's a good one. <clears throat> OK, so my number two, you mentioned earlier that you wanted to try and stay on the path of like traditional teachers, you know, not not people that were like mentors or things like that. But I went off the path for, for my number two and I'm going with Mr. Miyagi. So I don't know if you know this, but Mr. Miyagi from The Karate Kid, obviously, that role almost went to Toshiro Mifune, the actor from Kurosawa's Seven Samurai and Rashomon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Pat Morita was so amazing. Oh, my God. He poured everything he had into that part. Like every single thing he does in that film has meaning. Like, And obviously all those menial tasks that he makes Daniel Sun do, like the paint the fence and wax on, wax off, all to build strength and and muscle memory and then apply it to karate. But the thing is, his characters had a rough life, you know, and he's this vulnerable character, but he always finds ways to gain strength. And then and he passes it on to Ralph Macchio, right? Mm -hmm. He might be the single most perfect teacher ever in pop culture. Now, I that's a bold statement. Yeah. He, I, I believe he is, but I had to go with a different number one, which I'll explain soon enough and you'll get it. But Mr. Miyagi is the epitome of not just the wise old teacher. And I know that like wise old martial arts teacher is like one of the oldest movie tropes in the book. Right. Mm-hmm. But no one was better than Mr. Miyagi. And it, it's not just about martial arts. It's about like he... He befriends Daniel, he mentors him, he stands up for him, he teaches him. And in the end, Daniel has to fight his own battle. But Mr. Miyagi teaches him to fight through all that adversity and pain in order to succeed. And I feel like he's such a strong presence in in that kind of environment that in Cobra Kai, Mr. Miyagi's always present throughout the show. And he just has this presence and he, he continues to be a mentor. He's, he's almost like the ghost of Ben Kenobi, but Mr. Miyagi doesn't have to appear at all. He's just there. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I don't know. So he's my number two. I like I say, I wanted to, he's not a traditional teacher, I guess, per se, but I felt that uh, that he was strong enough and, and probably one of the best teachers I've ever seen in movies. Nice. So, so. Good, good example of a non-traditional pick. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, on so your number one, my friend. My number one. I think if you were to just randomly pull some people and say, like, can you name a teacher, uh, a pop culture teacher? Um, a lot of people might actually say this, even though it's a little off the beaten path. And I'm going with Walter White from Breaking Bad. Ooh. So this is uh, uh, Brian Cranston. Yeah, so Breaking Bad, obviously one of the biggest TV shows of the last 20 years. Um, and not that it's a, a show that takes place in a school or a classroom, but just the general premise for mm. maybe those who have been living under a rock or in a cave like I do. Um, you <laughs> You're know, the cave, man. Walter White uh, had some some hardships in his life and, um, you know, gave up a certain amount of success. And all he could get was a job as a high school science teacher, despite his brilliance. And you know, was willing to accept that. And then in the premiere episode, he finds out he's got cancer and he's going to need very expensive treatments. And as an educator in the U.S., it's, it's you know, a, a social commentary. They don't get paid nearly enough. And so he realizes I, I'm not going to have enough money to get them, get the medical assistance I need to live. So what does he do? He sees an opportunity to take his scientific knowledge and manufacture drugs. And he ends up becoming this ruthless, heartless drug dealer and although you know the, the the transition takes multiple years to sort of go from the teacher everyone likes to the you know the most ruthless dangerous drug dealer out there but he starts as a teacher and it's it's a sad commentary that a lot of people could well i'm going to say relate not you know in a certain way they could they could understand and sympathize with this character that in the u.s medical medical costs of medical are extremely expensive and teachers are paid so tremendously poorly that this didn't seem like a huge leap. People didn't watch a premiere episode going, that had never happened. They watched the episode and went, I can't believe this isn't happening more often. Um, so Walter White is the teacher. I mean, it's, it's a, I don't want to say a minor part of his character, but it's certainly something that sort of falls to the wayside as the show progresses. But in the beginning, uh, even his relationship with Jesse stems from the fact that he Jesse was one of his former students, and Walter Walt White remembers that Jesse showed uh, a certain aptitude. And so when he finds out he's a drug dealer, you know he knows like, hey, here's this kid that that can actually, um, you know, present this <laughs> very illegal and and very you know potentially lucrative opportunity to to dive into the world of drugs. But you know if if he wasn't a brilliant man who was a brilliant teacher who had this student who he knew could do the job i mean the the show the premise of the show might have had to have been tweaked so again this is sort of a little bit of a cheat it's not really a story about a teacher but i think it's an important commentary on teaching in general and so i felt it was important i felt it was important enough that it needed to be number 1 so yeah, walter white that's a good one I think that's good. And then definitely representative of the, the and very opposite of my number five, which yeah. was all hearts and flowers. And this one is like we went from the opposite ends on this list. So, OK, so my number one, the TV show that I'm pulling this one from should surprise no one because it's one of my favorite TV shows of all time. But the character might surprise a few people. And I need you to just to kind of like bear with me on this as I explain it. But for for those of you that are from Gen X, as soon as I start to explain it, you're going to be like, Yes, Chris, you're right. So it's a Venus flytrap from WKRP in Cincinnati. And I know what you're thinking. Venus flytrap, Tim Reed, was this late night DJ, right? He's not a teacher. 
But he gave the single most important teaching lesson in the history of Gen X pop culture. So you know how much I love this show, right? I, I may have mentioned it a few times here on the podcast, Eric. So in WKRP in Cincinnati, in season three, episode 12, it originally aired on January the 31st, 1981. The episode was called Venus and the Man. And what happens is the station's cleaning lady, Cora, has a son that's getting mixed up with a gang and he's going to drop out of school. So she talks to Venus and she's like, you know, can you talk to my son and can you can you convince him to stay in school? And her son, Arnold, says to Venus, he's like, you know, I, I'm not smart enough to understand anything in school. I'm just going to drop out. So Venus makes this kid a bet and he bets him that he could teach Arnold to understand the atom in two minutes. And if he does, Arnold has to stay in school. And if he doesn't, Arnold can drop out. So Venus gets the kid in the storeroom at the station and he gives the greatest lesson plan ever. And anyone that's ever seen this episode knows exactly what I'm talking about. So he says, there's three gangs on the street and he draws this circle on the wall with a marker, right? And he's like, this is the neighborhood. And in the middle is a gang called the New Boys. And he just puts an N in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, around the outside of the neighborhood are a gang, the really negative dudes. They call themselves the elected ones. And he draws an E on the outside of the circle. And then he's like, they're really negative. You know, they just circle around the neighborhood all the time, circling, circling, circling. And the new boys in the middle, they see this and they get nervous. So they make a deal with another gang of these positive, happy-go-lucky guys called the pros. Puts a P in there beside the end. He's like, and they live together in the middle of the neighborhood and they call their hangout the nucleus. And the pros and the elected ones on the outside, they hate each other. So much so that they keep the same number of guys in each of their gangs, you know, just in case, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you got 10 elected ones, how many pros you got? And Arnold's like, 10. He's like, okay, and who's negative? And Arnold says, the elected ones. He's like, well, who's positive? The pros. And then Venus says, there's an old Swahili word, Tron. It means dude. <laughs> and the gangs all like this. So they incorporate it into their name. The pros call themselves the protons and the elected ones call themselves the electrons. And the new boys call themselves the neutrons. And guess what? You just learned the atom. Nice. And I've done a lot of lesson plans in my day. And let me tell you, if I have to have to start explaining the atom to high school students, I'm doing it just like that. Because Venus Flytrap, I believe, showed that one lesson plan can change someone's life. And that's why he's the greatest teacher in pop culture. So did you ever see that episode or are you familiar no, with no, it? No, that was a good way to do it, though. I mean, oh, and that, was... I, th I think your pick's a bit of a stretch, but with yeah. that example, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it in under a technicality. Yeah. Oh, man, it was so good. So that's our list of our top five teachers in pop culture. So now let's have some fun with Caveman. All right. I tell you what, we're going to do some old fashioned pop culture trivia this week. Derek. Okay. However, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to break up the questions into several different categories. And all of these categories are based on subjects that you used to take in school. Okay. Keeping with okay. our teacher theme. Okay, okay. 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 So up first is science. Okay. In Back to the Future, how much power was required in order for the DeLorean to go travel back through time? 1.21 gigawatts or gigawatts. 
gigawatts. Yes, very good. 1.21 gigawatts. Okay, the second science question. This 1993 movie generated so much interest in its subject matter that the study of paleontology suddenly took on a record increase in students. I gotta think that's Jurassic Park. Okay, moving on to math. Okay, and Derek is like, I understood there'd be no math on this <laughs> podcast. Okay, in the movie Goodwill Hunting, Matt Damon's character, uh, oh, Matt Damon, his character Will Hunting solves a ridiculously difficult math problem that's posted in the halls of MIT. But Will was not a student at MIT. What was his job there? He was the janitor. All right, I know that you're a fan of this show, so I'm really going to put you to the test. In the TV show Lost, okay. a series of six numbers oh, geez. recurs, okay. yep. and these numbers were on the side of the hatch, and they were even the winning numbers in Hurley's lottery win. Yeah. Can you name any one of the six oh, yeah, from Lost? Yeah, it was 4, 8, 15, 16, <laughs> 32, and 48. <laughs> That was pretty good. Did I get them all? No, close. It was 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, and 42. Okay. He got yeah, I knew four the, of them. I knew the first four pretty wow. pretty much. I knew it's those last two I had to take a guess on. Man, I used to love that show. I couldn't remember any of them. Okay, we're moving on to history. James Cameron's film, Titanic, obviously dealt with the sinking of the Titanic, and it came out in 1997. Hey, spoiler but, alert. Yeah, but what year did the Titanic actually sink? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. <sighs> I, I'll, I'll take a guess because I don't know. Um, 1907. 1912. I was going to say, you should have given me an over-under. I probably mm-hmm. still would have got that wrong. Wow. Okay, in the 2006 film Dreamgirls, that movie followed the female singing group The Dreamettes. In what decade did the movie take place? I thought it took place over multiple decades, but if I had to guess, I'm going to say, well, I have to guess because I don't know for sure. The the 50s. The 1960s is when the dream. No, I I was like 50s or 60s. All right. So we're going to move on to geography. Okay. In the 1965 film, Dr. Zhivago, that movie was nominated for 10 Academy Awards. It went home with five Oscars. It was a massive hit. In what country was Dr. Zhivago set? Russia. Okay, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You know this one. You're a big mm-hmm. nerd. It takes place in Middle Earth. However, what country did Peter Jackson shoot the film? New Zealand. Very good. All right, the last two questions are literature questions. Oh, okay. So you'll probably do pretty good. I better not flub these. This was my major. Yeah. The 1994 film, The Shawshank Redemption, it was based on a short story by Stephen King. Yep. What was the original title of the short story that the film was based on? Rita Hayworth and The Shawshank Redemption. Very good. And adjusted for inflation, what's the highest grossing movie that was based on a novel? Oh, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, oh boy. Um, inflation adjusted worldwide yeah, 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 gross no. is $6.52 billion. So let me t- don't buzz me yet. Let me just talk this out for a minute. All right. So movies that I'm running through my brain, but I don't know if they're based on books, would be Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz, 
Casablanca. I don't like. I don't think any of those were based on books, though. Um, maybe I'm gonna go with The Godfather. It was Gone with the Wind. Oh, Gone with the Wind was a book. Okay, yeah, it was based, on, based on Martha book? Mitchell's book, Gone with the Wind. <laughs> yep. Oh wow, and it came out in 1939. All right, so uh, so you did pretty good. Pretty good in those. I mean, you can go to school anytime. Oh, definitely. You yeah, got I, got a, I got enough. Grade. I got enough. My marks were high enough to pass. So Actually, I don't, I I don't you, need an you, A plus. You got like eight out of ten. So you, you made the dean's list. Congratulations. Here we go. All right. Here we go. So next episode, we need to go back and watch a movie and then review it here on the show. Sure. Um, you know, we've been spending this season looking back on films celebrating milestone anniversaries. So it's over to me to pick a movie and a milestone anniversary. So. Thing is, as you know, I don't really do pop culture after 1989. It's just not my thing. You know, it's it's kind of like Christina Aguilera and Oh my. You know, Yikes. gave it a try. Didn't really care for the experience all that much. So anyway, I just but I decided that I'd step outside of my comfort zone a little bit here. I'm going to do a movie celebrating its 20th anniversary. So that puts us back to 2003. Wow, 2003. Okay. So I mentioned this movie on the podcast the last two weeks. I figured it's worth going back and watching again. And that is Jack Black's 2003 film, School of Rock. Oh, geez. Okay. You already mentioned that you didn't like it when you saw it the first time. Well, it's been 20 years. I'll give it a This should be interesting. This should be interesting. I mentioned to my kids, I said, I'm going to nominate School of Rock on the podcast. And they're like, we're watching it with you, daddy. We'll watch it. We'll watch it. So they're all gung-ho about it. So it should be interesting. So you got to go back and watch School of Rock. And the next time that we come back, we will review that movie. Now, we might be taking a couple of weeks off because you got some vacation time coming up. But the next time that we're back, we will do School of Rock. Are, are you game for it? Yep. Sounds good. Yeah, I got a spring breaks coming up. I'm taking a little vacation. So nice. uh, definitely we'll have a little time off in there. But uh, give me a chance to watch this. And then I guess when we come back, I'll pick a movie from 2003. Yeah. So I'll have to pour through movies celebrating their 20th anniversary this year. I'm sure there's a lot to choose and from. And this, sh- this should be interesting because I usually I'm all about the old movies, you know, from Gen X. And you're mm-hmm. all about the, you know, newer, quote, newer stuff or at least the millennial stuff. And I usually hate all that stuff. And you, you know, but in this case, this is a movie that I really like. From 2003. All right. Well, well, we'll, uh, you we'll don't, see. So we're going to have to see how good this goes. Well. So uh, until the next time, when we come back and review School of Rock, this is Chris McBrien on behalf of myself and Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.